again, everybody. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to this week's podcast on moresportsnow.com. And we have a special guest in store for you as the radio voice of the New York Jets, Bob Wischusen, who also does a fantastic job on ESPN covering college sports, joins us on this week's show. Bob, thanks very much at this busy part of your life for giving us a few minutes of your time. Uh, for you, anytime. Uh, you're being so kind. So what is Jets camp like? What has it been like as the Jets prepare for game three of the preseason? I guess, is it still the Snoopy Bowl? Is it still called the Snoopy Bowl that they play uh, on Friday against the Giants? Yeah, I think for those in the know, yeah, I think the Snoopy Bowl is probably a fair, <laughs> fair way to characterize it. Um, it. Jet camp has been about the quarterbacks. I mean, obviously, if you're there every single day and you're a beat reporter covering the team, you're touching on you know, everything going on, all the position battles and injuries on the offensive line. And, you know, when they're going to get, you know, Quincy and Nunwa back. I mean, there's other themes um, to camp, but I mean, the only thing anybody ever asks me in terms of a fan or an interview like this, they just want to know who the starting quarterback is going to be. So that that's really been um, probably 90% of the pie chart of camp. And considering the Jets have generally, through their history, looked for a quarterback, there have been marks here and there where they've gotten that right. You know, Joe Namath, uh, Vinny Testaverde, they've had some times where they've gotten it right. They've gotten it wrong more often than not. So it's got to be very exciting, even though as a broadcaster, you have to be objective to a degree. You're talking for the most part to the home fan, but you have to be objective, but it's got to be exciting. You go into the season with this guy that looks like he's got it. However you define it. Yeah. I mean, they've supposedly, or were supposed to have had found their guy a couple of other times, you know, they traded up in the top few picks, the draft to take Mark Sanchez. Uh, Chad Pennington was a first round pick. Um, Kenny, Kenny O'Brien was a first round pick, but he'll always be compared obviously to Dan Marino. Um, So they've, they have had other guys that were supposed to be 10, 12, 15 year starters just didn't work out. This seems to be the best shot they've got at getting it right since Namath. Um, he checks every box. The only thing I think you'd be mildly concerned about is his lack of experience. He's only really been a starting quarterback for three years of his life. And he was a you know better part of a year or two at high school, two years at USC. And now here he is in the national football league. So he's not experienced, but in talking to Jeremy Bates, the offensive coordinator and talking to Josh McCown and the guys that are around him every day, they say about him that nobody's ever said to me about quarterbacks. The jets have drafted in the past. Um, You know, Josh McCown told us the other night that this kid takes it from the film to the field faster, better, more efficiently, than any rookie he's ever been around. And I think Josh McCown has been with 11 different franchises. So he has seen a lot of young quarterbacks. He's been in a lot of quarterback rooms with a lot of coaches and a lot of fellow QBs. And him to say that, knowing that this kid is really just scratching the surface, even of what his own knowledge level and position could be, it really feels like the sky's the limit. And then you watch him play. I mean, he can do everything athletically. He can throw from the pocket. He can move around. He can be responsible with the ball. He can go through his progressions. Very, very accurate, very accurate on the run. There's really nothing he can't do. So if you marry the intellect with playing ability, we've never seen that before. We've never seen like when Chad Pennington was the smartest quarterback. I think I've probably ever been around. 
But by NFL standards, God love Chad, but he had a pop gun arm and he could never stay healthy. And he was just fragile and didn't have a big arm. So this kid looks like he's Chad Pennington with the athletic ability to go along with it. So um, it's a it's a great combination. And thus the excitement is at a very high level. Will he play? Will Sam Darnold play on Friday against the Giants or will they hold him out a little bit simply because he's seen a fair amount of action in a short period of time? Oh, uh, no, he'll start. I mean, I'll be stunned if he doesn't start the game on Thursday, on, on Friday night. Um, and that is with the idea of starting him in the opener in mind, in my opinion. Now, Todd Bowles is not going to say anything publicly. He's not tipping his hand, but actions speak louder than words. They can say whatever they want about where Josh McCown is on the depth chart. Sam Darnold has taken all of the, the uh, main snaps with the ones this week in practice, which tells you he's going to start on Friday night, which to me tells you that if he plays well on Friday night, he'll start the opener. I mean, I, that, that's, that's what their actions are telling you that they're going to do. Yeah, it seems that way. No question about it. And, and again, why not? He has passed every test. And you mentioned some of the comments that you've received. We've seen what has been uh, written about him. We hear what the coaches have said about him. Uh, he appears to be able to handle everything that's been thrown at him. The inexperience is a, is a factor. It's, it's pretty amazing that he hasn't played it all that long. I guess he was, what, a linebacker for the most part when he was yeah. younger because he's still young. But at any rate, uh, it looks like the Jets have a good one. Uh, and they don't have any all-pro necessarily receivers, but it's a pretty good bunch. I mean, he's got a reasonable running game, a more than reasonable core of receivers, uh, Anunwa particularly, and hopefully there's full health and all that sort of stuff. Um, so the weapons are there for him to have some success. What about the line, though? The line is the big question. Um, they have been without Kelvin Beecham. They're starting left tackle. I've been told that it looks like he's on target to play on Friday night. Um, he's back practicing. They were without Brian Winters, one of their starting guards this past week. I've been told that he's probably in line and on schedule to play on Friday night as well. So it looks like they're going to put him out there behind the starting offensive line. But even with that, the Jets have a well below average starting offensive line. Um, this line, I think, if it's healthy, is capable of at least letting a rookie quarterback go back there and function. But this is not going to, I mean, you know, the, the Jet offensive line is not going to make anyone forget the Cowboy offensive line that Dak Prescott began his career behind. So, um, you know, that 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 is definitely a question. And if they start to suffer some injuries on the offensive line that cost that cost any of these guys regular season games, there's a pretty significant talent drop off from the starters to the backups as well. And we saw what a backup offensive line looked like uh, against Washington in the first quarter last week. So, um, but yeah, I think you're right about the, about the, the skill guys. They don't have any home run hitters. You know, there there's, there's no big diva wide receiver. There's no Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley in the backfield. They certainly don't have, don't have Saquon Barkley. Um, but they've got enough guys to cobble together an offense that if Darnold can play, and we all think from watching him he can play, that he'll be he'll be able to function and move the ball and look pretty good. What about on the other side of the ball? What are your concerns on defense, and what do you like about some other areas on defense? That Their linebacking crew is an area of concern. I mean, they've got functional linebackers, but no stars. Uh, they have spent some high draft capital on their linebacking group. Um, they've drafted a few guys that they were hoping would become kind of that one-on-one bend the edge pass rusher. They don't have that. So if they're going to get to the quarterback, they're going to have to scheme it 
to get to the quarterback. They're going to have to send guys in numbers and in, you know, in, in trickery to try and get to the QB. They just don't have that Von Miller on the outside or Aaron Donald on the inside that's just going to go kill the quarterback regardless of what you try to do to stop him. Now, having said that, they do have the ability to send guys in numbers after the quarterback because their secondary should be very good. Um, you know, Mo Claiborne is a really solid number two corner. He's not a number one, but that's okay because they signed a number one in Tremaine Johnson, which allows them to take Buster Screen, who moved outside last year, and put him back in the slot where he belongs. And they drafted two safeties last year that both look like tremendous players. So they've got five guys on the back end of their defense that should be about as good collectively as any unit in the NFL. So, you know, when you've got that kind of a backstop to your defense, that frees you up to play with some extra people up near the line. And they're going to need that to get after quarterbacks. Um, but that's, you know, that's going to be on Todd Bowles to scheme it. So all that being said, and with not one regular snap having been taken by anybody in the NFL, where do the Jets fit in uh, record-wise? What what would make a good year? We know making the playoffs, of course. We, we know what the high end of a good year would be. But what would be a satisfactory year in terms of the development of this team, moving forward, keeping the fans happy, that finally there's light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, and, you know, with any rookie quarterback, there are going to be some growing pains. So taking that into account and the fact that they're coming off a 5-11 and 11 year, but it was a 5-11 and 11 year where they were really competitive in a lot of games. Uh, I remember leaving Denver last year when they lost. I want to say the score was like 23 to nothing. I mean, I don't think they ever got inside the Bronco 35 yard line the whole game. It was just like drudgery to watch them play that day. And I remember walking out of the stadium and a couple of people being, you know, like, boy, that, that game was rough. That was root canal. And I said, yeah, but I was expecting they were going to have 10 of these this year and they've had two. So, um, you know, Obviously, from a win standpoint, improving on five wins, but to put a win total on it, like they have to get to six wins or have to get to seven wins in order to have a successful season, I wouldn't want to say that either. So to me, it's about being competitive. You know, if, you, if you're playing games that matter by the time you get to like early December, where you're at least still on the periphery of a wild card race, and if Darnold's playing well, I mean, to me, and, and they've got a lot of other young guys too. You know, they've saved $100 million in cap room for next year for a reason. They're really still using this year to figure out what they've got and where they've got it and where they need to spend because there are still some question mark guys. Um, so once you answer those questions this year, then next year you should really be an educated spender on the free agent market. We'll spend the last few minutes with you, Bob, talking about your career with the Jets and kind of how everything began as you're a Jersey guy through and through. and. Uh, grew up here and still live here. So when you were leaving Denver, I'm guessing one of the guys you might have been walking out with uh, is Marty Lyons. Maybe not. But at any rate, you've walked into and out of many stadiums with Marty over the years. You were telling me the other day, we were lucky enough to get around a golf in together, that you and he have been together for, what, 17 years now, is it? Yeah, 2002, I believe, was the first year that we were paired together on all the games. So this would be year 17 coming up. Tell the listeners who Marty Lyons is. They know him as the player, the great defensive lineman for the Jets. But, you know, who is he as a guy to travel with? Because you put a lot of time in together. Oh, uh, yeah. You? He's the most genuine guy you'd ever want to meet. I and mean, if you meet Marty for five minutes, you know him. 
You know, he's just, he's exactly what you would think he would be. He's the guy that grows up in Tampa, St. Pete, plays at Alabama, but then comes to New York, meets a little boy, if I remember right, that had cancer back when he was playing, kind of became a big brother to him, and then decides, you know, my life's work is to try and impact kids, forms a foundation. Now he's got chapters, five different places around the country, and has made himself a New Yorker. I mean, he is a New Yorker through and through, and he wasn't a New Yorker at all until he came up here to play for the Jets. He's made a home on Long Island, um, and he works tirelessly to run his foundation to try and help kids and their families who are going through the most difficult of circumstances, worse than any of us could ever imagine. And that's why he's in the Ring of Honor. You know, like I, I gave the speech um, the day that he was inducted into the Ring of Honor. And, um, you know, I said something to the effect of, you know, Marty's never going to be in Canton. He's never going to have a bust at the Hall of Fame. He's not going to be recognized as that kind of a player. But the reason he's being inducted into the Jets Ring of Honor is because if there was a Hall of Fame for being a dad, being a man, being a friend, being the kind of guy that wants to impact, you know, the world in a positive way, Marty goes in on the first ballot. How did this all start for you? Uh, You know, give us what you were doing, say, in high school and you're heading off now to Boston College, did you think at that point this is what you wanted to do? Was there a turning moment in college where you set your sights on this? I was a junior in high school when WFAN came on the air. You know, and up until that point, I mean, obviously we all grew up listening to, you know, the voices that we listened to call the games of the teams we rooted for or watched ESPN, you know, grew up being a kid at 10 o'clock or I mean, a five o'clock in the morning would pop out of bed and run down and watch sports center at five 30 school. I mean, you know, if you're a knucklehead sports fan, like we all were, you did things like that all the time. But you know, when WFAN came on the air in 1987, I was on my way to my junior year of high school. And, um, that opened up a whole new world for everyone that, you know, wanted to, you know, kind of spout their opinion. If you would have asked me when I was a junior in high school, what, what did I want to do? I would have told you I wanted to be Art Russ Jr. and be, you know, doing a talk show for our, what could be better? That's right. The big ball orchard in the South Bronx. Yeah. A couple, couple of years later, would I have wanted to be Mike and the Mad Dog? Um, so I began my career as a talk show host. I mean, my first 10 or 12 years professionally working was as a talk show host, but, you know, um, quickly realized that it's a lot of fun to be at the game too, not just to be be in a studio waiting for the game to be over, but it's also, I mean, we all also got into this business because we love sports and love the games. And so no matter how many people are or are not listening, it's a lot of fun to get in your car and drive to a ballpark and get paid to do it. So that was what really led me to, you know, to kind of branch off into play by play. And, um, you know, partnership with the Jets really began as their pregame and postgame host in the late 90s and uh, followed Howard David, who was the voice of the team for about five years. I got lucky that 2002, he took the Dolphins job down in Miami because he had a house down in West Palm and decided that that was going to kind of be later in life, his kind of quote unquote retirement job. And the Jet job opened up and I was in position as the backup guy to, to get a chance to do it. And I've been working with Marty ever since. Yeah, it's a great uh, career path that you've traveled. And, you know, I, I agree with you about the excitement of being in a, in a ballpark. And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, doing what I do with the Devils is an enormous honor. And I get jacked when 
the arena is full and there's the best in the world on display. But I didn't start there. But I got yep. just excited when I was doing a Union versus Cranford football game or, uh, you know, doing a soccer game involving Harrison and Carney or St. Benedict's. The audience wasn't as big. The crowd wasn't nearly as big. But the idea of seeing some really good athletes doing their thing on the amateur level, but doing it for their alma mater, for their local community. I loved it. And I, I didn't know how many people were watching on TV3, but it didn't matter. Well, I was watching. There we go. For, <laughs> for, yeah, for, our, you know, for those dedicated TV3 viewers out there that were hoping their high school might pop up once in a while. Yes, I was out there watching. So, no, you're right. I mean, it, hey, look, it's fun to go to the game, um, you know, and it's funny. You know, there are big there are bigger jobs than the jobs that you and I have. Um, you know, I talked to Gary Cohen about this one time and, you know, anybody that listens to Gary Cohen doing a Met game and then turns on nationally broadcast baseball games. If you're a Met fan, you can sit there and say, my guy is better than a lot of the guys I'm hearing do national telecasts. But Gary loves the idea of having his team. He does a team and that, you know, kind of give and take that you have when you walk into the rock and devil fans. Granted, it's a much smaller fan base than anybody who's going to be out there watching like the nationally broadcast four o'clock CBS, you know, NFL game. But when you're doing the nationally broadcast four o'clock CBS NFL game, you're a guy doing the game and you really have no affiliation with either fan base. And that fan base doesn't really have an affiliation with you. The guy that the fans affiliate with are their announcers. And granted, it's a smaller pool of people. But if I had moved on from Jets radio to go do NFL on network TV and you did a 16-week package where you had two different teams every week, yes, you would have more eyeballs on you and more ears listening to what you say. But you wouldn't have that connection with the people that root for that team the way that I have when I go to Jet games. And, you know, people want to take a picture and talk about it. No, I grew up listening to you and oh, it's great. I always bring my headphones. Hey, when we're home, we turn the TV down so we can listen to you and Marty. Um, you know, there, there's a relationship when you are a team broadcaster with the fans of that team that you'll never get if you go on to do bigger and better national things. Or so, you know, perceived so-called bigger and better things. So I don't ever take that for granted. I mean, it's, it's a nice reminder every week when we go to the jet games, you get that feedback from the fans who listen to you that over the years, you've made a connection with them. It is something that's very special indeed, but you're being humble. You do have the national profile as well in your work with ESPN, but I do get what you mean about having that connection with the local fan. Uh, the work that you do on ESPN does speak for itself, and and that part, that national exposure is getting bigger and better as you move along. Final question, and we'll let you go. Not, not so much typical week, but for the listener who thinks maybe you just show up at 1230 on a Sunday afternoon or let's say 11 o'clock on Sunday morning for that one o'clock kickoff and just kind of wing it. Give them an idea of the kind of work, the amount of hours you put in so that that broadcast sounds as good and as smooth as it does. Well, I mean, and you know this as well, like the kind of tedious labor of love paperwork that you do is what you do so that when the light goes on and it's time to call the game, you sound like you know what you're talking about. And the biggest challenge that I have is college football. Um, I call a college football game every Saturday, either on ESPN or ABC. And then I'm winging it to a Jets game wherever they are, either home or away uh, on Saturday night. So a typical week is on Monday, 
um, you know, a lot of the information from the college teams for whatever game we have coming that Saturday will start to pour in. And Monday and Tuesday is just reading and highlighting and watching tape and getting familiar with the two college teams I've got. Wednesday, I'm at Jets camp. So you interview Todd Bowles, talk to some of the coaches. Um, usually, I'll do a conference call with one of the two coaching staffs for our college game. Thursday, and then it's, again, it's a lot of note-taking, a lot of scribbling, preparing the charts. Thursday, you're getting on an airplane, and you're going to wherever that college game on Saturday is going to be because you have to be there on Thursday afternoon or evening because those places are a lot of times not easy to get to. I mean, my, my second game this year is going to be Colorado at Nebraska, which means I've got to get to Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, there aren't a lot of nonstop flights to Lincoln, Nebraska, so you've got to get there. And then Friday, it's an all-day watching tape um, having meetings with the home coaching staff, meeting with players, going to practice, production meeting, so that Saturday you are dialed in for the college football game because each team's got 80 guys, and they could all conceivably play. Um, and then Saturday night, it's running to an airport. I mean, whatever time the game is over, getting out of wherever I am and getting to an airport so that I am on Saturday night wherever the Jets are playing. And a lot of the times, honestly, I'm saving my Jets prep work for that flight on Saturday night because I know now I'm going to be stuck on an airplane for probably anywhere from three to six hours while I could knock out my Jets paperwork for Sunday then so that, you know, Sunday morning, I'm actually, if I'm home, able to kiss the kids and have a cup of coffee with my wife and I with them and then um, either head to the Meadowlands or if it's a road game, you know, get to the hotel sometimes at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, catch a few Z's and do a jet game and come home. And then the whole thing starts over again on Monday. So um, yeah, football season is a, is a pretty good grind of seven day a week. There's you're doing something, at least something to prepare for your games every day. Well, you're not just doing something, you're doing it well, Bob, thanks for taking some time out. I'm sure our listeners appreciate the insight on the jets and what life is like as you travel around this continent covering sports and good luck this season with you and Marty. And we hope to be able to chat with you again. Thanks, Patty. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the podcast on moresportsnow.com. Again, my very special thanks to Bob Wischusen for joining us on this week's show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye-bye.